Aqua Lads and Aqua Lasses. It is the dawn of a new era here on Kingfish. Well, I, I, I actually, I feel bad. I feel like that introduction is a check that my ma- ass can't cash, that my mouth wrote. Because, I mean, it is the start of something new. It is the very first ever live episode of Sunday Night Heat. And it's also the very first live episode of Sunday Night Heat from a pay-per-view location, which means it's the first episode that acts as a glorified countdown show. But we're here for all of it, the good, the bad, and the McMahonisms. I'm Johnny C. Thanks for checking in here the Aqua Cave. You know what it is. It's Kingfish. It's the Shane McMahon audio journey, folks. And as I mentioned, this episode's coming at you live. It's August 30th, 1998. We've reached the end of the road, but alas, I don't have a quarter to pay the toll. You know, you know what I really hate? And not to get off on a tangent already, but I hate when I'm on a toll road, and I have zero idea that I'm on a toll road, and I get a letter in the mail like two weeks later, and it's like, hey, you need to fucking pay me $3 for the privilege driving on this road. Now look, I understand we have to have these things, all right? We do, and we have to pay for them. I just would like a little heads up, okay? And one sign before I merge onto that road doesn't count. And I also don't understand why I have to pay a $5 convenience fee to pay a $3 toll, okay? Because if I pay your toll, my family ain't got no rolls, and then we go hungry, okay? Anywho, this episode of Sunday Night Heat is also special, folks, because it is only 33 minutes long. I'm assuming they cut out a lot of Highway to Hell music videos and such, but needless to say, it's a short one, but the temperature is still very, very hot. And so, put on your protective fucking heat-resistant gloves. (laughs) Is there such a thing? I don't know. I've only seen Ron Howard's backdraft once. But it is Sunday Night Heat from the site of SummerSlam, emanating from the house that Grandpa McMahon built, Madison Square Garden, We are L-I-V-E live from the site of SummerSlam. And that is legitimately what Shane McMahon says as we're introduced. Now I will say straight out the gate, and no, I'm not talking about that sweet gate that is in front of the entranceway, which we'll get to. I am talking about from the start of this episode, wow. I don't want to say it's nostalgia, because as I'm watching this, I'm not nostalgic for it. You know what I am? I'm yearning to give a shit about wrestling the way I did when I watched this episode of Heat for the very first time back when I was a Ute. Uh, let's see, 98, and that makes me like 15 years old. So I guess I wasn't a Ute, but I was still not allowed to vote. Um, but like I said, there is a gate. This is the Madison Square Garden setup, of course, with the short entranceway. There's a fantastic SummerSlam logo over the balcony area where the taxi is that Jeff Hardy jumps off of. You know what I'm talking about. Don't make me describe it in worse detail. But there's also a gate that says WWF. It's like a cemetery gate or like a nice gate to a gothic area. And then there is a burning, destroyed highway or a road that is the entranceway. And you know what? It's also little shit like this that goes a long way, too. Show me a picture of any pay-per-view from, like, 2015 onwards, and I'm making up that date, but I'm, you know, it might not be 15, but the point is, is that they all look the fucking same. And I understand that that's their new version of brand synergy, but come the fuck on. I miss the old Backlash meat hooks. 
I missed the crazy red planet that looks like it's going to collide with Earth for Judgment Day. You know, I miss the little doors that the Hardy Brothers have to hold open when it's King of the Ring. I don't know. Maybe it's just gone forever. Uh, maybe maybe next month Vince McMahon, since he's in charge of the WWE still, will uh, make a change and things... I'm sorry, hold on, hold on. I've been handed a piece of paper. What is this, a grocery list? I told you not to bring me this stuff on the air. Good Lord in heaven. Vince McMahon. Okay, that's going to be a podcast for another show. All right, but this show is about the highway to hell, and it starts off with a rather rambunctious call to the fans at ringside. It starts like this. Tunka, tunka. Oh, oh, Sean. So it's like the arena is begging for a man named Sean, and only a man named Sean can answer the call. But it is the Hopright Kid, as Mike Tyson with you are Hopright. Uh, it's the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. As he comes out, it's pandemonium. The crowd does go ape shit, and they reach for him and try to touch him because he's a sexy boy. Uh, a cameraman gets knocked over. I don't know how, but we are on his camera as he gets knocked over. But if you didn't notice it, folks, I, I wouldn't say that that's a surprise because it honestly looks like the modern product as filmed by Kevin Dunn, who unfortunately... Rem- Wait, I'm sorry, what? I've been handed some, some briefing, some documents... Okay, pizza, popcorn. Now, this is a grocery list. I thought you were going to hand me a piece of paper that said Kevin Dunn quit too. Don't hand me your grocery list. Anywho, um, this show has been marketed to the potential advertisers and to you as a Shane McMahon audio journey. Ladies and gentlemen of the Aqua Cave, I had no idea when I started this episode that two men of equal or lesser value were going to be battling for the control of our audio feed. Because, ladies and gentlemen, after he poses and gets his pyrotechnics, we cut to Shane McMahon in a tux and Jim Ross not in a tux. Welcome to Sunday Night Heat. I'm Shane McMahon, along with broadcaster extraordinaire Jim Ross. HBK is on the way. He's in the ring, and Stone Cold Steve Austin is in the back with a sledgehammer. Now, a couple of things here. Run-on sentence, yes. Shane McMahon looks like he's in his dad's tux uh, for prom night, yes. Number three, Shane McMahon says that Shawn Michaels is going to be joining them on commentary? My God, alert the censors. I had no idea it was going to be Shawn versus Shane for total, total, total control. Austin, total control. (laughs) Oh, and also, uh, I love how he casually throws in that Stone Cold Steve Austin has a sledgehammer. And I'm sure that uh, former... WWF head of talent relations or WWE head of talent relations Paul Levesque. God damn it, another piece of paper. What is this? Let's see. Spanish 101 uh introduction to cooking 742. Now this is just your class schedule. Oh wait, hold on. Below it it says Triple H is now the head of creative and the head of public relations. Good lord. Breaking news is a constant here in the Aqua Cave. But I will, I will finish that shtick, okay? I'm done with it. I figured since I did the first two, I had to do the third one. Um, in regards to the uh, the World Heavyweight Champion, Stone Cold, being in the back with a sledgehammer, Jim Ross lets us know that Stone Cold is in the back waiting for Kane and The Undertaker, and he doesn't have that sledgehammer for construction, but destruction. <laughs> Which is a great little uh, way to use the fact that he has a sledgehammer in your sentence, and it's comical and entertaining, so good for you. As the Heartbreak Kid leaves the ring and comes down to grab his headset, 
he's greeted by Shane McMahon with some finger guns. Because, you know, Shane McMahon is absolutely the type of guy that would give the finger guns. The heartbreak kid sits down, and what's his big dynamite introduction line? Heidi ho neighbors! <laughs> so, yes. Uh, and then, of course, Shane McMahon retorts, What's up, heartbreak? So, so let me just pretend I didn't break into that, and this is what your ears hear. It's almost as if the battle for audio supremacy begins with the introductions. Heidi ho neighborinos! What's up, heartbreak? Poor Jim Ross is sandwiched in between them, looking like he wants to put a bullet in between his eyes. Shawn Michaels says, and I quote, He heard that Sunday Night Heat is the hippest, hoppest thing on television. And when Shane McMahon said that, he was wearing dockers and penny loafers. And so all HBK decided he had to come to make that statement true and make Sunday Night Heat cool. However, he still decided that the best introduction to this uh, Shawn Michaels on commentary scenario was to bust out Ned Flanders. I'm blown away by this. This is great because Shawn Michaels reveals on commentary years before we would learn it uh, based on just his everyday existence that he is the fucking, he, he is your best friend's dad. All right. You think he's like the sexy heartbreak kid doing a line of coke off a stripper and then kicking your teeth right down your throat? No, he's just Mike, my dad, who needs to mow the lawn before the Cowboys game starts. And uh, I can guarantee you more to come on that front. Now, folks, heads up. I'm going to try to do this the best that I can. But with three different men in the announce booth this evening, that means three different impressions that I have to do in order to completely relay to you the idiocy of what these folks say. So I'm just going to give you a quick sampling of what a sentence would sound like from each of these individuals, just so we're all on an even playing field. All right. So the sentence that Johnny C, well, the sentence where all four of us are going to say, the first one being Johnny C is, hello, my name is Juan. Okay. So let's hear that from Jim Ross. Hello, my name is Juan. Now let's hear that from Shane McMahon. Hello, my name is Juan. And let's hear that from Shawn Michaels, the heartbreak kid. Hello, my name is Juan. So that's sort of the inflection that you're working with and looking for. Uh, but I will always, of course, try to call out who says the ludicrous things that they say. The LOD 2000 is here. No, that's only LOD 1000. One half of them. The Heartbreak Kid is indeed referring to the fact that Animal is here with the draws. JR mentions that, well, Hawk has been having, and damn it, he didn't say demons. He said problems. And as they're talking about these problems, Hawk the man wanders down to the ring from the gated area wearing only his mask. Now, of course, he has pants on, okay, but he doesn't have his LOD shoulder pads. It's just the mask. And if you haven't seen this mask, it's kind of like a hockey's goalie mask, but the part where you would see the face if you were a goalie is completely covered with, like, a sunglasses shade. Like, you can't see his eyes. It's just... A man who's not in the best shape of his life wandering around with his helmet on. And it's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. So, uh, like I said, he's coming down to the ring and he he's kind of... Well, uh, he's not exactly walking in a straight line down the highway to hell. So Shane says, oh, he's stumbling. Uh, has anyone determined what his problem is or are we still speculating? That was kind of Randy Savage. So maybe I'll keep the Shawn Michaels impressions to a minimum. 
You know, and, and I just want to make this clear. Again, nothing funny about alcoholism, okay? No, that's out of the way. I don't know if Hawk is really drunk here, but he is really good at acting drunk. Now, I think the helmet adds a whole lot to this presentation. Uh, all we know, Sean, is that the problems exist. Uh, he may not even be aware that he's wearing a helmet. Now, LOD 2000 does have opponents here, and it's not the breathalyzer. It is indeed the team of too much. Animal sees that Hawk is here and tells Dross to head to the back as the Hawk takes his place on the apron, awaiting the tag, still wearing the helmet. The match begins proper as two hot Scott Taylor and Animal brawl to decide who will be at the head of the class. We cut to the SummerSlam entrance once again, and it's not a Hardy Boy sitting on top of the SummerSlam sign, but it is the Enigma Edge. Hawk, uh, well, Hawk still has his bean on. Somebody might want to tell him. Oh, Edge, interested in this matchup. He's a troubled soul. JR says that normally the LOD would be the favorites in this match, but based on Hawk's condition, they are not. Heartbreak lets us know from his own experiences that wrestling might be causing Hawk problems when it comes to his, and I quote, party. Brian Christopher back in the match, goes for a pinfall on Animal. Shane says, Brian Christopher, going down, no, kick out. Damn it. God damn it, Animal. Why did you have to kick out so quickly? Because as you could all hear, Brian Christopher was going down what? Downtown? Downstairs? Down for the count? I don't know. And damn it, we will never know. So Shane's quest appears to be put on hold. Uh, Quick cut to Hawk on the apron. He is still equipped with his headgear, I can confirm. This thing's got to be messing with Animal's head. Who's his partner? Hawk. Draws. He doesn't know. He's just here to do the job. Shane, truer words have not been spoken ever. Animal starts cleaning house now and tosses Brian Christopher to the outside. And then he signals up top. I don't really know who he's calling to because, uh, you know, he's not looking at Hawk. He's just putting his hands in the air like, yeah, I'm number one. And instead of putting him, uh, Scott Taylor on his shoulders with a doomsday device, he just power bombs him. Now granted, he power bombs him hard and it looks pretty good. After the power bomb, the camera pulls out and we see that Hawk is indeed on the turnbuckle, struggling. He decides to jump down but is okay. He has landed safely on both feet in the ring and I can confirm his helmet is still equipped. Now Hawk gets his attention and sort of slaps him on the chest and starts pointing his hand up in the air and no he's not thanking the man upstairs for his animal maniacs or his hawk a maniacs he's telling hawk to get up on the turnbuckle again and we're gonna doomsday device this fucker and go for tea all right so animal gets scott taylor up on his shoulders and we get hawk uh well he's having some trouble negotiating the climb hawk indeed is having trouble negotiating the climb He's decided to climb up the turnbuckle while facing the audience with his back turned to the action. Brian Christopher pulls Scott Taylor down off of Animal's shoulders. Hawk reaches the top when all of a sudden, whoa, 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 he indeed falls backwards and elbows Animal in the skull, concussing him. Scott Taylor jumps on board for the one, two, three. No way! Oh, man, Animal is P.O.'d. Animal is indeed pissed off, and Hawk, 
he's yelling at Hawk, berating him, letting him know that he's ruined their pre-SummerSlam match, uh, guaranteeing that they won't get on the pay-per-view card anytime in the near future. But Hawk, playing the perfect drunk dude, has one hand up in the air in front of his face like, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean the match is over? What match? It's just fucking fantastic. They show the replay in slow motion, and it too is fantastic because you get to watch Hawk do the wow, 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 like in slow motion. He's his arms flailing and his drunken stupor collapsing upon to his tag team partner. It's really good shit. Animal leaves in frustration. Hawk starts walking to the back, helmet still equipped, and just kind of shrugs like, well, we'll get him next time. Stone Cold Steve Austin is in the back. He is pacing back and forth, waiting for the Kane and the Undertaker. <laughs> fuck it. Waiting for the Undertaker and Kane. And he does indeed have Triple H's sledgehammer. We are going to head to commercial. We're back, and the Heartbreak Kid has left the broadcast booth, but only because the next segment calls for him calls, excuse me, calls for him to be the lead interviewer in the ring. So we've got HBK in the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, she's ready, she's willing, and oh, oh, oh is she Sable. Here comes Sable. And yes, that was me performing her theme music. Uh, your tips are welcome. Hit me up on OnlyFans. Um, but as she comes down to the ring, she's wearing an evening gown. And, and you know what? I will say this. She looks lovely. She looks like uh, she's well-dressed uh, to go to a nice uh, you know, evening's gala, perhaps, and give a speech about something. And that's totally cool. What's not totally cool is how ridiculously old and stupid I felt when she walks down to the ring. Because on commentary, Shane McMahon says, <clears throat> Hold on, haven't done this impression in a while. <clears throat> yeah, baby! That's right. That's right. I've stooped to depths I have never known. I just did an Austin Powers impression. But I'm only doing it because Shane did it. She is one sexy lady! Thank you, Shane. Again, control yourself. Uh, anyway... She's out now, and she's with Sean, and Sean starts listing off some of the matches for this evening, but he finally gets to the one that involves Sable. But he gets there in a roundabout way. You know, he's like, Stone Cold versus The Undertaker. Ladder match. But the heavy artillery. The big guns. Believe me, folks, I'm looking at the 38 specials in the flesh. I'm going to kick her teeth right down her throat. No, actually, he doesn't say the kick part. But Sable does look ridiculously uncomfortable as he describes in great detail her bosoms. And I don't blame her. She shouldn't have to sit through this. However, she does grab the microphone from Sean, and she promises... <coughs> hold on, i got to dust off my Sable. The Sable bomb will be dropped tonight. JR, who's the partner, though? That's right. The big mystery of the evening. Who will Sable con into being her partner to take on Marvelous Mark Marrow and Jacqueline, the baby with back? Sean tries to seduce a little info out of the Wildcat. But she lets us know that if she told us who her partner was, it wouldn't be a mystery. She will tell us who it isn't, though. Even though... 
they're near and dear to my heart, my partner will not be one of the oddities. She says that the oddities are unavailable this evening due to their bout with Kai and Tai. She says their dance card is full tonight. And I understand that reference. But speaking of dance cards, and then she eyes up Shawn Michaels like a piece of meat, which only fair. He did the same to her. Why don't And she gets really serious here. Like, Sable takes it from like a, well, the oddities are my friends, but they're just busy tonight, to, why don't you show me what you got? Like, she fucking instantly got all aroused. Hit the music. I thought she was going to do the grind. But no. No, folks. Oh, my God. We are treated to Shawn Michaels' theme music, and we are treated to the absolute worst dancing of all time. Shawn goes to Sable, grabs her by the hip, and starts to grind with her. Sable does the tiniest dance moves you've ever seen in the history of your life. I promise if you watch the clip, it'll make sense. She's barely moving, but it's weird because, like, the bottom half of her body is barely moving, but she's, like, moving her head and, like, her torso, like... She's upper body dancing. Like, that's it. Like, I don't understand how she's able to control her body this way. He eventually dips her for the upskirt shot. Ugh, I'm not saying that is a good thing. I'm just saying it's 1998, so of course. Um, and, and, you know, if there was, if you ever wanted proof that Shawn Michaels was not the sexy boy, I mean, this segment is it. Head to the backstage area. Stone Cold Steve Austin still has his sledgehammer. I wish he would just use it on the heartbreak kid. We head to commercial, and hey, we're back, because, you know, streaming. Gangrel is making his entrance. Here comes Gangrel. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't know if that really came across the way I wanted it to. As Gangrel's making his entrance, Jim Ross is like, Here comes Gangrel! <laughs> and Shane, as if it's like the most uninteresting thing in the world, is just like, Cool. <laughs> I, it's very funny. I, I hope I hope it makes you laugh too. Gangrel, of course, does his spit with the blood and starts a match with Dustin Runnels. Gangrel with the red viscous liquid all over him, Jr. And I like look. I I I like to fancy myself a more intelligent individual. And to tell you the truth, I have a degree in English. Now I don't say that to I mean, that's nothing to brag about. Okay, but my point is, one would assume. I would know what the word viscous means, all right? So, so look, in the end, I'm really just trying to make fun of myself, all right? So, I looked it up. Viscous. Adjective. Look at it. Viscous. Have, and I just decided to say it like Kevin Nash, because, you know, he's always the smartest guy in the room. Having a thick, sticky consistency between solid and liquid. And I don't know, like, I guess blood... Blood does feel heavier than like water. No, no, man. Now, now, some scientist out there is like, "Oh my God, just end yourself," because I don't really know what I'm talking about. But I don't know if I would call it between solid and liquid. But whatever. Uh, Shane and Jr. have a nice back and forth, where Shane describes Gangrel's shirt as cool, and Jr. describes it as uh, somewhat gothic. Jr. mentions that we can see Andre Agassi. Uh, Tomorrow night, on Monday night, on USA, because of the goddamn tennis. And Raw will be on Saturday evening. After this uh, repartee, Gangrel hits an elbow drop on Dustin Runnels. So Dustin Runnels is on his back, and Gangrel 
you know, just sort of walks towards him and drops an elbow. Now, I will admit, as he's halfway down with the elbow, he kind of lifts his leg a little bit, probably just so it doesn't land on Dustin. And Shane says, nice corkscrew elbow drop. Now, folks, I've been watching wrestling for a very long time. All right. I have no idea what a corkscrew elbow drop is. I know what a corkscrew is. It's that thing that Jason uh, slams into Marty McFly's dad in Friday the 13th Part 4. Hey, Ted. Ted, where's the corkscrew? Anywho, this match is so good that (laughs) JR starts to remind us how to order SummerSlam in case we are not prepared. Now, I was really taken back into a time warp by these three methods, so I would just like to share them with you. One, press the interactive button on your remote. You know some fucker out there is looking for the button that says interactive as well, by the way. Number two, uh, go onto the cable access channel and call in the number on your screen. And then number three, <clears throat> if all else fails, dig out the last month's cable bill, uh, well, that maybe you haven't paid yet, and call that number. Okay, what a great way to make your audience feel intelligent for purchasing your pay-per-view event even though they can't afford it. You want those people to purchase it in lieu of the fact that they can't afford it, JR. So don't bring it to their attention. However, after JR uh, gives us variant number three, Shawn Michaels, in a somewhat disheveled way, says, That's the one I always do. (laughs) Indicating that Shawn Michaels is down on his luck and can't afford to pay his cable bill. Which, I mean, I don't know. Maybe true. I hear that drugs are expensive. We cut to Kevin Kelly and Tom Pritchard on a side screen. Uh, they're at the WWF.com announce table. Those of you without pay-per-view capabilities, join us on the web, the World Wide Web, and check out the video streaming of SummerSlam. Now, Shane, is there anyone out there in the fucking... Let's just let's just narrow this down to the lower 48 to make the point even, even more. Uh, not to mention worldwide. But is there anyone watching on cable, on USA Network, that wouldn't have pay-per-view capabilities, but do have an active online connection that's fast enough to stream video? I highly doubt it. Show me that household in America at the time that was like, well, we got rid of cable so we could have internet. I don't believe it. Unless it's some sort of scientist, all right? (laughs) Because they, of course, now I had the internet at this point because, you know, my dad was a big nerd and he was, you know, totally aware of everything and you know, I remember going from uh, 14.4 to 28.8 to 56K. So don't fuck with me about internet connections in the early era or late 90s. I was there. But I just don't believe that this could possibly happen in any realistic scenario. <laughs> Gangrel hits his impact DDT. This week, Shane doesn't call it a suplex at least. He calls it, oh, because that's what he says when Gangrel hits it. HBK calls it, what a move, what a move. And he gets the one, two, three on Dustin Reynolds. Whoever's coming for Dustin Reynolds, better hurry. Because, <laughs> you know, Dustin Reynolds has the shirt that says he is coming. JR says the DX is arriving in the building, so let's head to the back with Michael Cole. We cut to the back, and DX is standing completely still. Luckily, as Michael Cole starts talking, though, they start walking. Uh-oh. Somebody should have told those guys to just back up a little bit and walk the whole time. That way, we don't realize when they're suddenly in view of the camera on our screens that action. Um, in this configuration of DX, we have the following items. One, Big Johnson t-shirt. Two, fanny packs. 
and three t-shirts that are tucked into their pants. And I'll give you a few seconds to wonder who had what. Road Dog is wearing the Big Johnson t-shirt. X-Pac and Road Dog have the fanny packs. And X-Pac, Road Dog, and the game. Triple H have their t-shirts tucked into their pants. DX doesn't worry about the past. We're just worried about tonight, the ladder match, and the tag team titles, and cutting some hair. We head to commercial, and we're back with Michael Cole and Vince McMahon in a sky box. The announcers let us know that an interview with Vince McMahon is indeed coming up soon. But before we can get that interview, and I actually am going to question the use of this particular time, but I suppose if you have a large audience, you might want to capitalize on quote-unquote publicity. But what we transfer to is the same goddamn video of Mario Lopez getting into a scuffle with Val Venus that aired on Heat last week. It's the exact same video package with the same background music that goes... And there's a new development, though, because at the end, we get an additional piece of footage, which is a WWF.com exclusive. It's Val Venus in a dark room getting rubbed down by three women, and he says that Mario should have showed respect. He got in my face, and he received the pie face. Which, I mean, okay... Clever use of face and face, I suppose, but it's not really necessary. He does call Mario Lopez a great actor. I start to question his sanity. Anywho, though, after this, we head back to Michael Cole and Vince McMahon in the skybox or wherever. And Michael says, what do you make of the antics of Stone Cold? Well, he could hurt someone or himself with that hammer. I'll tell you what I've got to do. I've got to protect my main event. I've got to protect the integrity of the World Wrestling Federation. If I have to go out there myself and take the sledgehammer myself, well then, that's what I'm going to do. Shane hopes that his pops has more sense than to go at it alone. Shawn Michaels lets Shane know that, Shane, if he goes alone, he's coming back as a popsicle, if you know what I mean. Now, I get what Sean's saying, that he's going to be dead, and he's going to be frozen stiff because dead bodies are cold and stiff. But I also love the synergy here, because Shane often calls Vince my pops. <laughs> and that would make him a pops-sickle. Eh, alright, it's not that funny. Here comes Southern Justice and Jeff Jarrett to the ring, and Jeff Jarrett just immediately tackles the Fink. Oh man, come on Fink, you could take him! I disagree, Shane. They have clippers, and they indeed start to shave what's left of the Fink's skull. And I feel really bad for the Fink here, because it seems like the the clippers aren't working very well, and so they're really having to dig into Fink's skin. And I'm surprised he's just not bleeding everywhere. Because, shit, I, I can't shave without a little bit of blood. Maybe it's because I'm rough on my skin, or maybe it's because I'm a pussy. I don't know, but I usually draw just a smidge. I'm not like, it's not like a Mortal Kombat fatality when I shave, and I'm not trying to make it sound like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just saying every once in a while you get a little bit, but they're just digging into him. Shane changes his tone, though, and realizes that the Fink is unmatched against these individuals, and he's like, oh, come on now, this is bullying. And I was blown away to hear someone call something bullying in 1998. Now look, bullying or being a dick, it's not cool, I'm not here trying to promote it, but I think of like bullying, and I'm doing the finger quotes thing here, as more of a modern thing that society is concerned about. So I was just kind of like, huh, interesting, that's it. 
They didn't start to shave off the Fink's mustache. I'm sure this is going to piss off the ladies who had already purchased tickets for the mustache ride. HBK talks about how Jeff Jarrett and X-Pac are two good-looking dudes, but they don't want the Chrome Dome because it's only cool when Austin has it. Before leaving the scene of the crime, Jeff Jarrett grabs the house mic and offers Madison Square Garden just a small piece of advice. Don't make me mad. Well, we all know he says don't piss me off, but I, I, I wish, I wish, I wish. Going back in time to the old toy store and the shitty mall that me and my buddies used to hang out at, I remember when we discovered the Jeff Jarrett toy that said don't make me mad and laughed profusely at it because it was ridiculous. In retrospect, I probably should have bought it and then sold it to pay for something stupid for myself. We cut back to Vince all by himself. Oh, wait a minute, though. He's not by himself. Sergeant Slaughter, Pep Patterson, and Gerald Briscoe are here trying to talk about good old Sledgy. Ah, ah, well, now I ain't giving you the sledgehammer, but I will wrap it around your damn little head. We had to commercial, and we're back. The Stooges are now reporting to Vince that they could not get the sledgehammer from Austin. Ah, uh, Mr. Mockman, we went out there, but he just won't listen. Shut up! He's just one man. And Pep Patterson's all like, Well, fine, if you think you can do a better job, you go do it. And Vince is all like, Fine, I will. We cut back to the arena, and holy fuck, Paul Ellering, a dude I haven't seen in forever, and his massive fucking arms. Your manager should not be in better shape than his charges, but I digress. He's bringing out the Harris boys, or the DOA, Skull and 8-Ball. And here are their opponents. First, as Shane calls him, Big Bad Bradshaw. And his uh, tag team partner is the man they refer to as Vader. Sean says, hey, what time is it? You know, because it's Vader time. We got a lot of beef in that ring, JR. The bell rings, but Vader and Bradshaw are arguing with one another. And they argue for quite some time. The argument continues. So much that the countdown clock to SummerSlam appears in the upper right-hand corner. It's at 24 minutes and 4 seconds. So, so, Shade says, 24 minutes, 4 seconds, 3 seconds, 2 seconds, 1 second. We'll pick that up later. <laughs> now, okay, that's First of all, it's ridiculous that Shane decided to actually count along with it. But in comparison, folks, there's only 9 minutes and 27 seconds left on the Peacock stream. And I know that some of that has to account for commercials, but man, this episode is chopped to holy hell. And speaking of chopping things, Vader, well, he's not chopping, but he is throwing his Vader punches. On commentary, we get, finally, Vader, starting off with some big bombs. Boom! Look at him go, JR. Is that Skull or 8-Ball? Uh, I, I don't think it makes any difference. So very true, Jim Ross. Because the Harris twins are fucking worthless and interchangeable in their worthlessness. One of the twins hits a power slam on Vader. We get, oh yeah, look at that power. Some good power. As opposed to bad power, Shane? I just don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Bradshaw is in now, but there's no time to discuss this because it is time for my favorite part of each episode. Fans, the heat continues right here on USA with USA's Sunday Night Heat lineup. First, Rush goes back to school to take down a college gambling ring on an all-new Pacific Blue. Then, at 9, Harry's true love is murdered. And, oh! 
and he wants revenge on an all-new silk stockings. And at 10, the section discovers Nikita's plot to destroy Section 1 on an all-new La Femme Nikita. And, not shown anywhere on USA, will be Sean, stripping nude. Now, Sean, my mama's watching. Fan-fucking-tastic. At first, I was a little pissed off because there's three of them, and I figured Shawn Michaels would get to promote one of USA's Sunday Night Heat extravagant shows. But him throwing in that nowhere on USA Network will be Sean stripping nude is fantastic. I do think it's hilarious that in retrospect, if you really take like a thousand yard stance at this thing, they are promoting this entire episode of Sunday Night Heat is a promotional vehicle for SummerSlam. The entire goal of even being on USA Network for this company is to get you to press that interactive button to buy SummerSlam. And here they are promoting you should actually watch the USA Network's television programs. Now I get it. I get it. It's not They're not really being stupid here. It's just hilarious when you really take a step back and think about what it is that they're doing. Uh, in the match, however, Vader and Bradshaw accidentally collide with one another. I wasn't paying attention. And we get, oh, watch out! It's a train wreck! Shane, again, on point, this match is indeed a train wreck. Bradshaw decides, fuck it, and punches his own partner, and one of the twins rolls up Vader with the schoolboy for the one, two, three. I'll tell you what, folks, Vader looking like Rembrandt, spending some time on the canvas. So a quick recap, back to SummerSlam 1996, Shawn Michaels takes on Vader in the main event. Two years later, Shawn Michaels dances with Sable poorly on the pre-show, and Vader is pinned by one of the Harris twins, who we can't even bother to name, via a schoolboy. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Vader and JBL brawl back into the uh, bowels of the arena, and we cut to the Home Shopping Network stage. Tonight... At 10.55, we are your one-stop shop for all WWF merchandise. It's Michael Cole with Brian Collard. Brian introduces himself and automatically gets into supreme salesman mode. He promotes cubes. What the fuck is that? T-shirts, hats, denim jackets. And you know what? You don't even have to wait to call call 1-800-284-3100. Folks, (laughs) this is me. Call at your own risk. Back to ringside now, and we get a shot of the Lion's Den, which is in the adjacent theater at Madison Square Garden. There it is, Shane, the Lion's Den, nine feet of concrete and steel. Oh yeah, check that bad boy out. Looks like a cheese grater. Mr. McMahon and his stooges are walking to confront Stone Cold Steve Austin as we head to commercial. Hey, we're back. Austin, please, someone's going to get hurt. Just give me the sledgehammer. You're damn right someone's going to get hurt. You don't even care about me. You're just worried about your little pay-per-view. Sergeant Slaughter tries to grab the hammer, but Austin says, I'll rip your damn little hands off. Vince, in frustration, is just like, fuck it, and says, you know what, Austin, fine. Just forget it. Just forget all of it. You're damn right. Forget it, you fucking piece of trash. (laughs) All right, he doesn't say fuck, but whatever. Suddenly, it's the future, because we're back at ringside, and the countdown clock reads 3 minutes and 19 seconds. Here comes the nation of domination. We cut to last week in the war zone, and holy shit, the nation of domination actually was leading an assault on China, and the heartbreak kid himself made an appearance by rescuing China 
by beating the shit out of the nation with a chair and absolutely crushing Mark Henry's face with a chair. Shawn Michaels explains himself, I got a soft spot for women in my heart. I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to stick up for them any day of the week. I love them. (laughs) Now, folks, I, of course, had the closed captions on, so a brief interlude for fun with closed captions. Shawn Michaels is quoted as saying, I'll tell you what, I got a soft spot for winning. Which is also true, if you believe the rumors. There's a very large Rocky Sucks chant, but also some cheers as he tells the audience that the People's Champ is here. So Rock really starting to turn him. However, there is absolutely no time for an interview. DX is in the house, JR! Uh, DX does indeed confront the nation and a brawl breaks out. During this brawl, The Rock takes out Triple H from behind, smashing the Intercontinental Championship belt into Helmsley's knee. Now, of course, in the real world, we know that Triple H was definitely battling some knee injuries here. As a matter of fact, he would tough it out, win the Intercontinental Championship in the latter match, and I believe never defend it, uh, eventually having to relinquish it. Uh, As Triple H's knee gets destroyed, though, a very unconcerned Shawn Michaels on commentary says, Well, he got him in the wheel. (laughs) And that's it. No, hey, that's my buddy in there. Or, hey, Grandpops, I'm going to kick your teeth right down your throat. He's just, oh, he got him in the wheel. We're low on time. Very low on time because we head to the back with Stone Cold Steve Austin. A hearse finally arrives. As Stone Cold hears the hearse moving forward, we get an absolutely hilarious shot of Stone Cold Steve Austin hiding behind the wall as if he's hunting or stalking this hearse. If Austin had camouflage on, this would be an all-time screen grab, but he doesn't, so it's not. He immediately uh, attacks the hearse. He opens the door and tosses the driver. Now, the driver kind of looks like he could be Bob Backlund's son. He also kind of looks like, and I mean this, legendary podcast wrestling journalist John Pollock from Post Wrestling, who is someone I actually kind of really like and admire. Uh, I love him in a way over on Post Wrestling. Cheap plug for them. They deserve it. Uh, I mean, hey, they're doing a lot better than me. I'm just saying, there's some there's some folks that I've always listened to for years, and hey, I got an excuse to say a nice thing about them here on the podcast. But yeah, Limo Driver definitely looks like John Pollock. Anyhow, Austin... I mean, he's got a sledgehammer, and there's a car in front of him. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? He starts beating the shit out of it. Oh, man, SummerSlam has started early right now. Now, Austin is beating the shit out of this hearse with the hammer, and when he hits the windows and shit like that, glass does fly everywhere, and this seems really dangerous to me. Like, you could have Austin deal with all these glass shards flying at him right before the pay-per-view? I don't know. Whatever, though. All of the announcers try to get in some last-second hype for SummerSlam. What's Shawn Michaels' brilliant contribution? Falls count anywhere in the ladder match. What? What? Falls count anywhere in the ladder match? Now, he's probably trying to hype the tag title match, because I believe that is false count anywhere, but it just comes out stream of consciousness. Falls count anywhere in the ladder match. So whatever. Stone Cold finds a forklift. Uh, which was luckily parked right next to this hearse. Um, he drives it into the hearse, stabbing it violently. You know, the only thing would have been better if he was like, from hell's heart, I'll stab at thee, you goddamn hearse. Because he just really rams it right in. 
The copyright for Sunday Night Heat hits as Shane once again yells into the darkness, Anybody in there? Which just kind of, and especially when you consider the fact that we're fading the black, it really gave me some fucking Pink Floyd vibes. Hello, hello, hello. Is there anybody in there? Well, folks, this ends the latest episode of Kingfish. And I hope that this entire presentation has made you feel comfortably numb. Not numb to the presentation or the entertainment value of Kingfish, but very comfortably enjoying the fact that you know, now know exactly what happened right before the SummerSlam pay-per-view started. And of course, I welcome you to watch SummerSlam 1998 on your own time, because I'm not watching it, because Lord knows how long it would take me to get through an actual pay-per-view while taking notes. But I absolutely, like always, thank you for coming on board to the Aqua Cave for this presentation. I want to give a cheap plug to the newest program here on the Aqua Cave, Bright Man, a show that allows us a little bit of creative freedom uh, where we can just change the topic at will because the thesis of the show is we're going to deep dive into whatever bright idea we have at the time that we decide to record the episode. Now, the first episode is a deep dive into the 1990 Intercontinental Championship title tournament, which was necessary due to the fallout of the Ultimate Challenge. We talk about why it happened, who was involved, we watch the matches, and we also uncover some interesting facts about Hogan and the Warrior in the direct aftermath of the Ultimate Challenge. It's a quick listen, just a little bit over an hour, and we cover a lot of great content, as we're known to do in the Aqua Cave. And again, remember, keep pressing that play button on Aqua Cave programs, because when you listen to an Aqua Cave program, that's your way of stating to the rest of the world that a winner is you. We'll see you next time.